the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Today we gather in virtual worship. Let us worship God in spirit and in truth. The liturgy, music, and sermon are offered in the praise of God for our virtual congregation today and later around the globe. The service includes the sermon on our summer theme, Traditions in Mark, along with music and liturgy from previous services. We welcome your support and responses. We invite your attention to the possibilities for ministry and pastoral care available on our website. We await your self-selection of forms of leadership, ministry, and service in our midst. And as the Spirit moves, when again it is permitted and safe to do so, your presence with us here in worship. Although the nave is empty, the music is full. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. pray. 
Keep, O Lord, your household, the Church, in your steadfast faith and love, that through your grace we may proclaim your truth with boldness and minister your justice with compassion. For the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. We begin each Lord's Day in worship with a moment of contrition, compunction, lament, confession, as our choir guides us by the singing of the traditional Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, let us pray. Jordan River, chilly and cold, filled, chills the body, not the soul. Ain't but one train on this track bound for heaven and right back. Every time I feel the Spirit moving in my heart, I will pray. Hear good news if we confess our sins. God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. A lesson from Paul's second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 5, verses 6 through 17. So we are always confident, even though we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. 
Yes, we do have confidence. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may receive recompense for what has been done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade others. But we ourselves are well known to God. And I hope that we are also well known to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast in outward appearance and not in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ urges us on, because we are convinced that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, so that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who died and was raised for them. From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. The word of the Lord.
Please join me in saying Psalm 20 with the antiphon. The Lord answer you in the day of trouble. The name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. May he remember all your offerings and regard with favor your burnt sacrifices. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your plans. May May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Now I know the Lord will help his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with mighty victories by his right hand. Some take pride in chariots and some in horses, but our pride is in the name of the Lord our God. Let us stand as we are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of the Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 3, verses 20 through 35. Glory to you, O Lord. And the crowd came together again, so that they could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, he has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. And he, is, he called to them, he called them to him, and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, 
that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then his mothers and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside, asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. We are at the beginning of that season that I never really understood as a child, which extends all the way through summer until we reach Advent. Ordinary time. Growing up as a pastor's kid, I always thought of it, of this season, simply as the time after Pentecost. I legitimately did not know that it went by another name. So, imagine my surprise when, in my first year of seminary, I stumbled across the terminology of ordinary time when learning the church calendar. How ridiculous, I thought. Who calls it ordinary time? Well, apparently a lot of people, including the Catholic Church, the Anglican and Episcopal Churches, the United Methodist Church, and even my own beloved Lutheran Church. Ordinary time as a moniker just seems so ordinary. I don't think it accurately encompasses the journey we travel with Jesus and the disciples, learning about his ministry, his healing, his conflicts, and his connection to the world. The celebration of Pentecost shows us the dramatic effect of the Holy Spirit's work in the world. This season is not one to merely proclaim as ordinary, but it continues to highlight the extraordinary work of the Holy Spirit through the life and ministry of Jesus. One of the things today's gospel lesson teaches us is about the importance of relationship in God's kingdom. We learn about family, conflict, and the important role the Holy Spirit plays in joining us together and transforming us to form strong bonds rooted in God's power. But to be fair, this story is a little all over the place. Jesus is trying to eat. People say he's gone out of his mind. The Pharisees accuse him of being in league with demons. Jesus rebukes anyone who rejects the Holy Spirit, and he also emphasizes his relationship with his chosen family in the Holy Spirit over his family of origin. That's a lot of ground to cover for a story that is only 15 verses long and otherwise might be a simple story of an ordinary homecoming. 
In any normal circumstance, a family would be excited to see their son or brother return after having departed on a journey. However, Jesus's reputation precedes him. While he was on his journey, he proclaimed new teachings about the good news of the kingdom of God, casted out demons, healed people, invited disciples to follow him, hung out and ate with the marginalized, and broke Sabbath laws, gaining fame among other Galileans who do not know fully who he is, but who want to do God's will. People in Galilee and the surrounding area are sharply divided on what Jesus's words and actions mean in light of established customs and Jewish law. His own family does not understand what he's doing. Remember, the story of Jesus's life and ministry in Mark does not begin with his birth, but rather at his rebirth when he is baptized by John. Jesus's supernatural actions and challenge to powers that be is not a known entity to his family before he heads out to do his ministry. No angelic announcement foretold who Jesus was and what he was meant to do. In fact, this is the only time Mary is mentioned in Mark's gospel. Her role in Jesus's life is greatly diminished in comparison to the other synoptic writers. Jesus's family instead think he's gone out of his mind, not conforming with societal and religious norms as they have come to understand them. I'm certain most of us can relate to that experience of young adulthood when you or your child left home for college or a job and came back, back home for the first time. I encounter this frequently as a, in my role as a university chaplain. That first Thanksgiving or winter break at home can be a challenge for many students. They have changed since they went to school. They've gained more freedom. They are learning who they are and what they want to become in a new environment. And they've encountered new people who have different backgrounds and experiences. All of these things can shift their attitudes and their sense of self. Parents may be surprised at this person who arrives home. Students may have even done something to cause their parents to question whether they have gone out of their mind. The instinct to protect a child is a strong feeling, as is the longing for the person who once was, but now who has started to self-differentiate from the, their family. However, most of the time we adjust, we manage to keep our families together and accept that people grow and change as they get older, but not without some growing pains. These students may have even started to form their own quote unquote families outside of their family of origin. Those who support them through difficult times, who celebrate with them in joyful times, and who overall just get them. The desire to connect with others and feel a sense of belonging is at the core of our being. And as we grow and develop into adults, our sense of self leads us to create new systems of support and care. Returning back to the gospel, another group that has certain expectations of who and what Jesus should be also appears in the story at this point. 
The Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem have also heard about Jesus's actions around the Galilean countryside and have their own opinions of what's going on. While Jesus's family might be trying to protect him in his perceived insanity, the Pharisees come with a much bolder accusation. He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. To them, Jesus must be in league with evil forces because he is not following the religious laws that they enforce. Jesus is not acting in expected or ordinary ways as a Jewish man or even teacher. Jesus rebuts their accusation by pointing out the logical fallacy of their argument. How can Satan cast out Satan? Truly, it must take something or someone much stronger and different to bind up the strong man. Here, Jesus gives the Pharisees and crowd an apocalyptic hint of his role in the world to prevent the work of evil in the world and to provide forgiveness. We may be taken aback at what Jesus says next, though. He draws a strict line between who is in and out in the kingdom of God. The good news is that most people are included in God's kingdom. Sins will be forgiven by a gracious and loving God. But, and this is a huge but, there is one sin that cannot be tolerated, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. God will not forgive those who commit this sin. It feels awfully weighty to us as readers. We have come to expect that God forgives unconditionally. How can we reconcile these two claims? Also, how do we know if we are blaspheming the Holy Spirit if the work of the Holy Spirit is often a mystery to us? Perhaps the best way to think about this statement by Jesus is to place it in context of the Gospel of Mark. Presbyterian pastor James Ayers, in his commentary on this passage, urges that we see Jesus' words here as a sort of tether that lets us know that the Holy Spirit is the force that can transform hopelessness into hope and cause restoration in our lives. The only way that we can truly be against God is to actively reject the Holy Spirit's presence in, our, in the world. What we really must be aware of is that the power of the Holy Spirit continues to work on and work with us to create our loving relationship with God. Jesus is laying the groundwork for what it means to be a part of God's family. With this knowledge about maintaining our relationship with the divine, we turn back to the conflicting realities of Jesus's closest relationships. When Jesus' family calls for him to come outside, he claims that those he is inside sharing a meal with are his mother and his brothers. Now, is this a complete rejection of his biological family? Maybe. It is a definitive claim on the importance of the kind of relationship that Jesus calls to cultivate in our lives. Jesus claims those 
who are doing the will of God as his siblings. In that moment, it excludes his family because they do not understand who he is and what he is doing. Jesus wields his power in this narrative. It is not the kind of power that is most recognizable in Jesus's time or even in our own time. It's not economic, it's not political, it's not even physical. But it is instead rooted in love, hope, justice, humility, servanthood, and restoration. In claiming outsiders from the rest of society to be literal insiders as members of God's family, Jesus upends the expectations of what power should look like. In performing exorcisms and healing people, he restores right order and enables those who have been healed to be a part of society once again. He shows love to those who have been excluded, sees value in human life over the strictures of human laws, and identifies the humanity of those who have been deemed less than because of their jobs, their status in society, or their physical or mental wellness. He is able to bind up the strong man because of his power of love and transformation rather than destruction. Jesus' power is not rooted in fear or coercion, but in hope and love. In this past year, many of us have spent a lot of time inside, especially in our homes. We've also probably gotten a great deal of quality time with our immediate families, or maybe with our chosen bubble of people. These are the people that we trust. In the midst of a pandemic, there had to be a certain level of understanding about the appropriate behaviors and interactions for each of the members of our quote-unquote immediate households to maintain our health and well-being. We became vigilant about who was and wasn't a close contact, redefining our physical relationship to others by only allowing certain people to share our spaces. Some of us have had time to reconnect with family members in new ways, while others have been physically separated from loved ones for extended periods of time. Perhaps because we have had more time to think about or spend with our immediate households, we have come to recognize the importance of establishing and maintaining strong relationships with others. In this time of forced isolation from the outside world, We've also come to recognize the many ways in which our society is broken. COVID made us acutely aware of economic, racial, and other social inequalities that have been present for the majority of our, his our country's history, but which have continually, we have failed to address. In the early days of the pandemic, after our initial shock of Having our lives upended, many of us vowed that we could never be able to go back to normal again in light of Black Lives Matter protests, socioeconomic inequality, and growing divisions in our country. Some of us now had more time to really reflect on what was going on in the world around us and to decide how we were going to be more involved, less dismissive, 
and seek justice and restoration for others. Now, in this new phase of the pandemic, in which it is certainly not over, but is at least on the decline in the United States, we are ready and eager to go back outside into the world. As mask restrictions lift and we begin to reunite with our friends, of course, after we have been fully vaccinated, it might be easy to slip into our old ways of being. The busyness of life might return again and our care and concern for the greater, greater socioeconomic issues we were faced with during the pandemic may start to fade into the background. We may slip into our own ordinary time where things go back to mostly normal. We may lose sight of the importance of the relationships we share not only with those in our bubbles, but with the greater world. Certain aspects of the pandemic will leave their mark on us as we move forward. But how will we consider what this past year has meant to us in how we interact with our families of origin, our families of choice, and the surrounding world around us? Many of us have a new clarity about the importance of relationships and not taking advantage of the time and opportunities to support and connect with others. Sometimes this kind of recognition can only come after we have lost something important. Dr. Don Saliers, American theologian and professor emeritus at the Candler School of Theology, as well as the father of Emily Saliers of the folk duo, The Indigo Girls, summarizes our experience of the relationship of being a part of God's family as this. Quote, Living out the form of discipleship Christ bids us to follow means a new solidarity with all humanity. It requires that we learn with him to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. It asks us to live into the densities of human joy and suffering. It calls us to find ourselves precisely in our willingness to give up our self-absorption. This is a demanding task, requiring a willingness to follow him into a new solidarity with God's whole family." Unquote. One may hear echoes of the great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer's claim of the cost of discipleship in Dr. Sillier's statement. While God's family welcomes all, it also calls on us to be willing to serve others with an open heart without letting ourselves and our egos get in the way of justice and righteousness. God's will, while grounded in love, does not mean that it won't come without its challenges in enacting it in the world. It means standing up to oppression. It means crying out with those in pain. It means recognizing and responding to the needs of others, even if those needs infringe upon our personal wants. To live authentically into God's will means being mindful of how our faith informs our actions and allowing that deep inward voice to guide us along the way. Jesus, in his ministry and his teaching, demonstrates what it means to follow God's will. 
the Holy Spirit acts on us to create faith within us. And then we continue to strengthen that faith through hearing the word of God and sharing the sacraments with one another. The Holy Spirit in, moves in us to bear good fruit of our faithfulness in service and care for others. It motivates us to seek justice for those who are marginalized, to create wholeness where brokenness haunts many, to acknowledge the humanity of others, and to see how we are inextricably tied together with them. Our faith is in the one who redeems and makes us whole, and thereby we are called to share the power of Christ through our own words and actions. This is not an ordinary time. These weeks after Pentecost are an extraordinary time to hear the word and works of God through the body of Christ. Let us live into these Sundays after Pentecost with a renewed sense of being siblings of Christ and God's children. Amen.
come to the time in our service when we turn our hearts and minds to prayer and lift up our lives and ourselves to God. Please assume an attitude and posture of prayer by either remaining seated, standing, kneeling, or coming to the communion rail as we sing together our call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord. God of life, we praise you for your abiding presence from generation to generation, blessing your people, strengthening us to lives of service, empowering us to witness. Hear the prayers we offer on behalf of your creation. I will end each petition with, hear us, O God, and the response is, your mercy is great. O God, strengthen your church to do your work in the world. Remind us of your eternal presence so that we may be salt and light as we share your peace and love with others. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hate to love, from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, our universe. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Help us to maintain the balance of your creation by recognizing our interconnection with the entire earth. Enable us to recognize the ways that we create damage and give us hope to change our ways. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Draw leaders away from bitterness and into your ways of kindness and mercy. Help them recognize injustice and act to establish righteousness. Replace blame and malice with forgiveness and justice. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Sustain all whose journey feels too hard to bear. Restore the hope of all who despair. Comfort those who are poor, oppressed, persecuted, or homeless. Heal the sick and comfort the grieving especially those we name before you now. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. 
Bless this congregation that we may continue in your service to the community of Boston University and the city of Boston. Hear us, O God. Your mercy is great. Grant that as we serve you now on earth, so may we one day rejoice with all the saints in your kingdom of light and peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now, with the confidence of children of God, we are bold to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.
O magnificent divine, consecrate these gifts and the givers to your service. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each one of us now and forever. Amen. 